0: Well, I want to uh, welcome everyone, especially all of you around the world that are watching me right now online. And uh, when we're through with this teaching, let me ask you to stay online and go to the icon for the parting gift and download the discussion questions uh, so that your small group and your family can continue uh, digging into this teaching you're about to receive. Uh, But we've been in a study of the Holy Spirit with special emphasis on The perspective of Jesus. And Jesus didn't just talk about the Holy Spirit in John 14 through 16, which has kind of been where we've spent the most time. But really all throughout the Gospels, he talked about the Holy Spirit and always in such wonderful ways. He said one time, for example, now you parents, if your child wants a piece of bread or a fish, you're not going to give him a snake or a scorpion, are you? No. Your Father loves you and is going to give good things to you, including the Holy Spirit. Jesus was always asking us to let our faith be formed with the eyes of a child. I know that my children blessed me a lot in my understanding of God, particularly the way they prayed. Because my kids just believe the Father in heaven is good and wants to give good things. So, for example... My oldest two children, Michael and Morgan, were adopted. And they decided when Michael was six and Morgan was four that we needed another baby. Well, Jamie and I weren't planning to adopt. And the doctors had already said biological children were out. So they just started to pray. Jamie got pregnant. And so when we told them at supper, have y'all been praying that mama would have a baby? They just took up their hands. Well, yeah. They weren't shocked at all. Because... In their mind, God is good, and fathers give good things. Morgan wouldn't stop there. She wanted a boy. And we tried to explain, now, Morgan, it could be a boy or a girl. Either way, we're going to love the baby. Yeah, but it's going to be a boy. And so every time she would pray, dear God, bless Mommy, bless Daddy, bless Michael, bless all the cousins. And she got through all the names and bless the baby and make it a boy. And when Matthew was born, she was the least surprised of any of us because the father gives good things. That's what fathers do and so I read in mature living magazine recently a woman named Sally Ham was keeping her three-year-old granddaughter Libby and Libby's praying and so Libby says well dear God uh, thank you for mommy and daddy and for Hudson and Taylor and all the other things you thank God for and then she said amen ready or not here I come and I like that because there's an eagerness there that I think Jesus had when he talked about the Holy Spirit Because what he's doing in John 14 through 16 is basically saying, ready or not, he's coming. And Jesus had such a high view of the Holy Spirit. And one thing I hope this series has done has heightened your desire to experience the fullness of everything this gift makes possible. Because... You do not need to fear anything the Holy Spirit will do in your life. Because the Father loves you. And He has sent Him to help us. And we can all use some help, especially in the area of obedience. And so look with me in John 14. And Jesus says, now, if you love me... Keep my commands. Let me stop a moment. I love Jesus. I really do love Jesus. But you wouldn't know it sometimes by the way I obey. I don't keep his commands like I want. And Jesus knows that about us. And so he says, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Because here's the thing about the Christian life. It's not difficult. It's impossible. Only Jesus did it. And we must ask him to come and do it through us and in us in the power and person of his spirit. And that's the promise, ready or not. Here he comes. He comes because I do love Jesus. And because I do want to keep his commands. And so he helps me and turns me into a keeper. Because here's the thing we all noticed shortly after we became Christians. We still struggled in the area of obedience. Didn't we? Simply becoming a Christian didn't make it suddenly easy to always do the right thing. And we don't always do a good job of explaining that to new Christians. My wife told me just this week a story. She was uh, baptized into Christ as a young girl. Well, a week or two later, she got really mad at her brother and sister and thought, well, I'm not supposed to do that anymore. So she went forward the next week with tears in her eyes. I can just see Jamie doing this, asking for prayers because she had sinned. And her father, big old construction worker came after service put his arm around her says, well, "Honey, that was really good, but we don't need to do that every week." But she didn't understand. No one told her that even though you are united with Christ and sin's penalty has been paid, sin's power is still very real. And the reason is because we are still In these sin-infected bodies, the Bible sometimes calls them the flesh or the sinful nature, Uh, we still have this corrupted, self-regarding part of our fallenness that we inherited from Adam. So until we get our new resurrected bodies, we are going to wrestle With the tug of sin. And you cannot subdue the sinful nature. With a whole lot of woulda, coulda, shoulda. And tomorrow I'm going to try harder. And yet that's often what we do. We depended on grace for our justification. Someone told us that you can't do anything. About the penalty of sin. And we totally trusted Christ for our justification. But then when it came to our sanctification, instead of depending on grace, we tried to depend on grit. Instead of seeking help, a lot of us, after we became Christians, tried to struggle with sin and obedience Using only the resources we had before we became Christians. A couple of years ago, there was a lawsuit in Narrows, Virginia. The local chapter of the ACLU sued the local high school because the local high school had a display of the Ten Commandments on the wall. And so the local judge suggested this compromise just take off the top four commandments. Just get rid of all the commandments that mention God and just go with the rest. Well, here's the problem with that. You can't find the motivation and the inner resource to obey the ethic without a higher authority to empower you. You want something to tweet? Tweet this. You cannot live for God unless you learn how to live from God. Paul puts it this way. After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? You see, the key to obedience is not to try more intently in your own power. It is to submit more deeply to the helping power of the Holy Spirit. So Paul would say in Galatians 5, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives and then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. You see, we accepted the death of Jesus, didn't we? That's part of what we were saying when we were baptized. We were being united with the death of Jesus to deal with the penalty of sin. But the Bible also says we were raised In newness of life. We don't just need to accept the death of Jesus. We need to accept the life of Jesus. The life that allows us now with a new power. To live in a new way. You don't keep the commands of God. By focusing on the commands. But by focusing on keeping your spirits In tune with Jesus. That's why he would say in chapter 15. I'm the vine. And you are the branches. And if you remain in me. And I in you. You will bear. Much fruit. If if you focus. On letting my life source. Flow into your life. You will have the kind of life you were meant to have. But then he says, but apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's how some of us are living. We are trying to live for God with only the flesh... We're settling for a natural life. We had that before we became Christians. Don't settle for a natural life. I want you to aspire to your supernatural life. But to do it, you're going to need some help. And ready or not, here he comes. The Holy Spirit. To help me live inside out. You see, most approaches to holiness and to obedience are outside in attempts that only result in temporary behavior modifications. Now you all understand what I'm saying because every one of us have decided at some point in our life there's something in my life that's outside the will of God and I'm going to grit my teeth and coulda, shoulda, woulda and tomorrow I'm going to try harder. And you can keep that up for a little while. And this is what religion tries to do. It, it tries from the outside in to conform behavior. It is rule rule oriented it is guilt motivated and it is short-lived and it always diminishes freedom because you see when you accept Jesus Christ and you receive his life you become free and we don't know what to do with freedom it intimidates us so almost immediately we try to build fences around freedom I heard, for example, a couple of years ago, the zoo in Denver was offered a polar bear on the condition that they build it a real nice exhibit. So they agreed, and they received the bear, but the exhibit wasn't built yet, so they put it in a small cage. And all that bear could do was take three steps and turn around and take three steps and turn around. Well, then they opened the new exhibit, and it was amazing. It had a lake and a waterfall and a cave and wind. It had everything but a Klondike bar. And they put that polar bear in this awesome new exhibit. And guess what it did? It took three steps and it turned around. And it took three steps and it turned around. Because it had lost its capacity to enjoy freedom. And that's what religion does. You see, I grew up in a church that ignored the Holy Spirit. And if you ignore the Holy Spirit... How are you going to motivate people to live by a higher ethic? There's only one way. Legalism. You have to start outside in rule making and keeping. But I want you to notice something about the ministry of Jesus. Jesus did not emphasize a stop it ministry. Go read the Gospels. He did not walk around. Stop it. Quit. Stop it. You go to the corner. No suit for you. Stop. (laughs) You see, obedience will always be a struggle as long as you focus more on what you're trying to get out of your life instead of who you're trying to bring in. Let me illustrate that. I want this glass to represent Your life and inside this glass is air that represents your struggle to obey. The stuff in your life that you're still wrestling with that you want to get rid of. Now, how are you going to get this air out of this glass? Well, get a vacuum, right? Just suck it out. But the problem is you'll fracture and damage the glass. Do you know there's actually an easier and a better way to get the air out? Just put something else in. This is what the Holy Spirit wants to do. The Holy Spirit wants to so fill you with His presence and joy and love that there's no room for the other stuff. It loses its power. And I'll say it again. Obedience is always going to be a struggle for you. As long as your focus is more on what I'm trying to get out than who I'm trying to. To let in. You see Jesus. Didn't set holiness aside. What Jesus did. Was put holiness. Inside. In the person of his spirit. Paul says Ephesians 3. I pray that from his glorious. Unlimited resources. He will empower you. With inner strength. Through his spirit. Now what does that. Empowering look like well it includes those inner nudges you get to do the right thing and that's happened hadn't it where you to suddenly feel an urge to call somebody to send somebody a card to stop and talk to a stranger to step outside of your comfort zone and serve some way this was the holy spirit and it also includes those times when your heart gets convicted because you did something that you didn't feel like jesus was leading you to do and by the way that's a good thing it's a good thing when you can still feel that pain inside. Because that means you still have a connection to the Holy Spirit. One of the things the Holy Spirit's going to do when you give Him reign in your life. He's going to increase your hunger for the Word. And for prayer. And for authentic fellowship. Where you do more than just come to a building and stare at the back of somebody's neck. And then go get in your car. But you actually spend time every week in fellowship with some Christians where you have the good, important conversation about how our walk in Christ is going. Another thing the Holy Spirit's going to do from the inside out is give you recall of Scripture. Because the Word is the sword of the Spirit. So you're in those moments where all of a sudden the Word of God comes to your mind and it speaks right to that moment to help you do the right thing. And the Holy Spirit... Is going to help your mind stay focused on the things of God. Where does your mind wander when it's in neutral? Well, when the Holy Spirit's taking over, it always tends to drift toward the things of God. And you will never meet a temptation that is stronger, more powerful than the capacity of the holy spirit to help you that's why paul says look at verse 16 from the message live freely animated and motivated by god's spirit and then you won't feed the compulsions of selfishness because what the holy spirit is going to do is he's going to turn have to into want to religion says Have to. But when the Holy Spirit is in control, all of a sudden, I don't have to. I get to. I get to live this life. I get to follow Jesus. I get to obey His commands. And that's when life starts to get fruity. Galatians chapter 5. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. In our lives, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And by the way, notice that all those fruit are basically just expressions of love. Compare them to 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and love is kind and love is self-controlled. You see, my problem has never been my desire to love. My problem has always been I don't have the power to love. Unless it's natural. okay. It, it is not hard for me to love people that look just like me and sound just like me. And that like me. It's not hard for me to love lovely people and beautiful people. And people that are kind to me and people that are above me. and I, I can do that. But it's not natural to love people that are really different. It's not natural to love people that are annoying. It's not natural to love people that have hurt you. But the Holy Spirit can help. Ready or not, and He will come and He will help us love upside down. Because what I need to love supernaturally, I need more patience. My flesh just can't produce enough. I I need more kindness. I need more gentleness. I need more self-control. What I need is more of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul says in Romans 5 that God has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. And when I love out of the fullness of God's love poured into me through the Spirit, I am a keeper. I find myself obeying the commands of Jesus because the commands of Jesus have always been pointing me in the direction of love. In fact, look at John 15 with me. And Jesus said, My command. Is this. Love each other. As I have loved you. That's it. All God's ever asked us to do. Can be summed up in two phrases. Love me and love people. And in case you missed it. Five verses later. He comes back and says. This is my command. Love each other. The Spirit's greatest gift to me. Is to empower me with the capacity to love people. Like Jesus did. Not just the people that are easy to love. I can do that in my natural flesh. But the people that are hard to love. To love upside down. To love supernaturally. This is the greatest thing about the gift. And... The greatest cause of sorrow when I don't open that gift. There's just so much about the Holy Spirit. I wish we had time to teach. We're going to have to come back and do another series in the future. But I do want to unpack for just a moment one phrase you might remember. There's a place in the Bible we'll read in a moment that says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Think for a moment about the word grieve. What does that imply? When I flip through the paper in the morning. And I see the obituary section. And I see all the pictures. And the names of the people who have passed. I feel some measure of compassion. For their families. But I don't grieve. Because I don't know. Those people. There is no intimacy. Grief. Is the sorrow. I feel. When. Capacity for intimacy has been lost with someone I really love. Okay. So how is it that you and I could ever make the Holy Spirit grieve? Simple. The Holy Spirit loves you. Now, just let that sink deep in some place in your heart. The Holy Spirit loves you. And now we're ready to read Ephesians chapter 4. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. With whom you're sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander. Along with every form of malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other. Just as in Christ God forgave you. How do we grieve the Holy Spirit? By being ugly to each other. By choosing to stay bitter. By choosing to be unforgiving. By choosing to be unkind. By not letting it go. By not doing the hard work of letting Him help us love when it is hard. When we live in intimacy with the Holy Spirit, we can love upside down. And we can display the character of Christ when it is not natural to do so. And that makes God look so good. That's why Jesus said in John 15, This is to my Father's glory. What? That you bear much fruit. Show in yourselves to be my disciples. You know, a Christmas tree is pretty. We decorate it with all these things on the outside and we admire it. But what's the problem? The Christmas tree is cut off from the source of life. And no matter how much you decorate it. It's going to turn brown. And ultimately decay. But a fruit tree. Because it is connected to the source of life. It just continues to produce and produce and produce beauty. All religion can do is decorate you on the outside. But the Holy Spirit can change you on the inside. And that is the greatest. Miracle of all. See, I want to take a moment and raise something. I know some of you are thinking, well, Holy Spirit, Caesar, are you going to talk about miracles? I am! I'm talking about the greatest miracle of all. Now, for the record, I personally believe in all of the miraculous manifestations of the Holy Spirit. But I also believe the greatest supernatural work of the Holy Spirit is to take a person and begin to change his character into the character of Christ. You see, the fruit of the Spirit is miraculous. To be gentle when someone else is rough. To be patient when someone else is annoying. To be self-controlled when everybody else is losing it. To be kind when they don't deserve kindness. This is supernatural. Because the flesh will never make you into that kind of person. I think sometimes we should rethink our appreciation of miracles. You know, the people that killed Jesus saw Him do miracles. Miracles. Here's the thing about miracles. They do not always transform. But transformation is always a miracle. The devil can duplicate many things, including miracles. But one thing the devil can never fake is the character of Jesus growing in a man or woman. And all around you right now are living miracles. I'm thinking of the man in our church who grew up taught by family to be racist. And then he found Jesus. And the Holy Spirit went to work. And now he's retired and he goes to the inner city in the afternoons and he tutors young African American boys and helps them with their schoolwork. And that's a miracle. I'm thinking of the lady in our church who, after many years of faithful marriage, got abandoned by her husband for someone else. And then when he started to show signs of Alzheimer's, she took him. Back into her home, and she took care of him until he died, even though he couldn't say thank you. Now that's a miracle. I'm thinking of the young father in our church that got abandoned by his father when he was just three. And there developed in him a natural rage against that man. And even when he came to Christ, one of the first things he told us was, I'm never going to forgive my dad. And then the Holy Spirit went to work. And he showed me last Father's Day the letter he sent to his dad. Saying, it's all forgiven. And that's a miracle. We saw Dr. Kent Brantley... Who contracted the Ebola virus in Liberia faces challenge with bravery and dignity. And we all prayed, didn't we? Oh God, we need a miracle. Ken Brantley is healed. But are we missing the bigger miracle? That the Holy Spirit worked in the life of that young man to produce the kind of character that would have gone to that place where that was even a possibility of contracting that disease. And he gets on national TV and he tells the world, I asked God to heal me. But then I said, And God, even if you don't, I will not deny you. And the whole country got to see what a living miracle looks like. And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory. Which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Obedience is a gift. And it looks like Jesus... And you are to be a case study for the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit to change a life. Are you ready? Or not? Well, I want to pray over you, but first I want you to pray. And I want you to start your prayer this way. I want you to think of some part of your life that you know God's been working on. And the change that you've experienced, you couldn't have done in your own flesh. I want you to start by thanking God for the work He's done in changing who you are. Do that right now, please. And now take a moment and just think about one part of your life where you would like to grow in obedience. And I want you to try something quite simple. Don't ask for a law. Don't ask for a rule. Don't ask to feel more guilty. Just ask for help. Just ask the Holy Spirit to help you. father we need to listen to jesus this morning he said apart from me we can do nothing and we've we've spent some time trying to do it apart from him so father help us right now just to plug into his life and his power and his spirit do something in us god that we can't do by ourselves we would like to be miracles and part of your story. And we're nothing without Jesus. But with Him, we are new. Hear our request and fill our lives for Jesus' sake amen please stand if you're on our prayer team would you take your places either down at the front or up in the balcony and the reason these people are here is just to help you take the next step in whatever the holy spirit's doing in your heart right now to talk to pray maybe you're ready to receive christ maybe today you want to get baptized we want to be a blessing listen to me every one of us has sowed some seed in our past that we regret And God's given us a chance to have a completely new kind of harvest. But you can't do it without Jesus. Please come.